the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 1420, the answer. It is a Thursday, the eighth morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Exactly two years to the day. November 8th, 2016, we secured our future, at least for the time being, when we elected President Donald J. Trump over Hillary Clinton. And today... I think you should let me run the country, you run CNN, and if you did it well, your ratings would be much better. If I I may ask one other question, Mr. President, if I may may ask one other question, are you worried... That's enough. That's enough. Mr. President, I was going to ask one of the other folks... That's enough. Pardon me, ma'am. Mr. President, that's enough. Mr. President, I had one other question, if I may ask, on, on the Russia investigation, are you concerned that... That you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You sh- the President of the United States getting it on with Jim Acosta, standing up to one of the lead bullies of the lead, uh, the leaders of fake news at CNN. And now, as a result of that little uh, tussle, Jim Acosta's press credentials have been suspended, not revoked. I wish it was revoked because that would indicate permanence. Instead, it's a suspension, which means there will be an end to that suspension, and we'll see what happens after that. Joining us to discuss that and the rest of the day's most important news, our friend, uh, the brilliant Peter Kersenow. Peter, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob, doing great. 347 days to the first game of the World Series. I, I revise my prediction from last week. I studied this a little bit more closely. I think the Indians take it in six. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'm, I'm going to put you put you down for that, and we'll see uh, how that how that uh, prediction ages. Uh, all right, Pete, let's uh, let's dive into it. There's a ton of news that I want to talk to you about. Um, not that there's a whole lot we can say right now, other than the standard. Uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims. But another shooting, another mass shooting in a crowded place. This time, another nightclub. Uh, Eleven victims uh, killed by the shooter. Uh, a twelfth would be the uh, sheriff's deputy who, who who heroically went in. Uh, by himself. He was the first to arrive on the scene and went in to try to save lives, and Lord knows how many he did save when he got the shooter's attention and the shooter turned to shoot at him. And uh, uh, I don't know how many people were able to save themselves as his attention was focused on the deputy. Uh, but then, of course, the shooter killed himself as well. Was it an AR-15 this time, so the left can't play that game and talk about assault weapons and so on? It was a handgun, and naturally a semi-automatic handgun. He didn't have a minigun. Um, your thoughts, Pete? Well, I, th- I don't know that I'm well-equipped to address something like this. This is something that is, uh, it requires, I think, a great philosophical mind, because we keep going round and round about things like, as you just mentioned, Bob, the AR-15s and all these superficial issues related to these killings. But we're seeing you know, a fair number of these over the last 15, 20 years, where there's these mass shootings, <clears throat> they seem to become almost commonplace. And I will confess that I didn't hear about it until um, I got up this morning, um, about 5 o'clock or so, and uh, I noted that by the time I was driving to work, I'd completely forgotten about it. Uh, whereas if this had happened 30 years ago, this would be the, a very big deal. Remember that the St. Valentine's Day massacre mm-hmm. consisted of seven people, 
all of whom are at least arguably criminals. And that was something that loomed large in the public imagination and history for quite some time. And now these things, on a far greater level, seem to be happening every several months. And uh, I wish I had the capability to address this. I think this is something that speaks to a, and I know we're not supposed to be talking in these terms these days, unfortunately, but I think this is one of the reasons why we have these things, is that we have kind of a spiritual sickness afoot. We consider that we are living in an era that has the greatest material benefits in the world, uh, in the history of the world, and in the United States, a poor person in the United States legitimately is better off materially than a rich person was as recently as, say, 40 years ago. There are more material things. There's more availability of food, of comfort items, of all manner of things, all kinds of conveniences. Uh, so when people uh, talk about poverty as a cause or some other issue, that just doesn't work that well. And I think that w- to the extent that we have purged from the public arena notions of goodness and uh, evil versus good and religiosity. I think we suffer as a result. And you look at our schools, I know this much, and I know, you know you've got kids that are going off to college, and you know, my kids have already completed college, but what struck me, I still go around to different colleges, but what struck me is that you go around to most campuses and uh, religion is really under assault. There's a hostility to religion. Um, and it's not just uh, hostility, but it, 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 it's an overt attempt to purge religion and any kind of spirituality from the public arena. And I think this is part of it. And not to say that, you know, religion and spirituality is a salve or anything, because, my goodness, we've had religious wars. But we've lost a lot of what it means to be a good person, what our fellow man is supposed to be treated as. And it's, um, I think it manifests itself in issues such as this. I think that's a great analysis, because there's, there really is no other. I mean, we're just at a very, very different time in our country and in our culture, and religion is being phased out in so many different areas of our culture, sometimes by government, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, and, you know, that, that lack of faith and that lack of belief in, uh, you know, in the goodness of man and, and dealing with your problems in a decent way and by maybe looking for help, uh, uh, to your faith and to faith leaders, it just seems to be well, not gone, but obviously it is being minimized. And I think that's as, as good of an answer as any as we just try to look yeah, for motive. And, and Bob, motive you and, and I have talked yeah. about this uh, both on the air and offline <clears throat> a number of times. And I don't know what the cause of this one was. I, I mean, I don't know. This is just an observation on the proliferation of these right. kinds of incidents. But, um, you know, when you look at our various institutions, uh, and I know you and I have talked about this, our institutions, including religious institutions, are going off the rails. They are doing things to actually self-eliminate themselves. It's, it's, it, we're in a weird, weird time right now, and I think we have to recapture our spiritual dignity. And in addition to that, when you have, in some communities, eight out of ten kids being born to single parents, there's not the kind of upbringing that's necessary. You have a proliferation of a media that just spews toxic bile 
into the ether. Um, it's um, again, don't know about this particular incident, but there is this kind of overriding sense that the United States, in terms of our morality, I know you're not mm-hmm. even supposed to talk about that anymore, is going off the deep end. Uh, Peter Kirstenau is our guest. Very well said. Peter, of course, Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and uh, one of uh, the best, uh, one of your very best friends in government, one of the finest people you have said, not just in the government, but in the United States of America, is Jeff Sessions. Yesterday, Jeff Sessions resigned at the president's request. This is what Representative Louis Gohmert said about that. He was a little naive in not appreciating the people that worked for Rosenstein that wanted to diminish him in the president's eyes and, and get gave him bad advice including to recuse himself he 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 relied too heavily on the advice of people he called career but i would say were democrat operatives Louis Gohmert offering some suggestions as to why the president forced the attorney general out of office. Pete, your thoughts, I know how you feel personally about the man, uh, but about the decision by the president here, given now that the house um is led by, you know, some very very um angry Democrats who have pledged to begin investigations of the president that go far beyond even what the Mueller investigation does. Is the president right to want somebody in that seat uh, at the head of the DOJ who's going to be able to fight for him rather than Mr. Sessions, who, of course, Attorney General Sessions, of course, who was, uh, you know, who had recused himself? Well, strategically, probably. I would offer a couple of comments. First, Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, once the Godfather and Michael says we need a wartime consigliere. Um, I think that's, that's a pretty what, good analogy. That's very good. Yeah, I think, uh, however, um, from the standpoint of someone who respects the Constitution and the rule of law, that's not the attorney general's job. Now, it could the attorney general's job is to make sure that any kind of investigations are prosecuted uh, for meritorious reasons and in an appropriate fashion, and he should be protecting the institution of the presidency when it merits such. Uh, he shouldn't be, as Eric Holder famously said, the wingman of the president. That's not his job. The attorney general's job is to protect and defend the Constitution, not the president. Now, to the extent that the Constitution requires the president to be protected because there's overreaching by Congress or some other branch or there's some other rule of law issue, yes, that's his job. And yes, I do have an affinity for Jeff Sessions, and I hope it may, I don't think that's clouded my judgment as an attorney, however. When I look at this, contrary to what a lot of people think, I know there, I have a lot of friends, very mm-hmm. strong conservatives who believe that Jeff Sessions was too weak, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Um, I have a contrary view, and it's not simply informed by my respect for Jeff Sessions, although that's certainly a component of it. It's informed by the rule of law. Now, I have a different take. I think that you know Jeff Sessions could have been asked to resign at any time. The president had the ability to do so. And had Jeff Sessions voluntarily resigned without the president asking him to do so, remember, Jeff Sessions did tender a letter of resignation to the president, which the president refused. People forget that. Mm-hmm. The thing that Jeff said, because he was getting beat up like crazy, he thought the president wanted him to resign. But remember also that senators went to the president, Republicans, and said, we cannot confirm another AG, given the slim margin we have in the Senate. Remember back then, just to, well, it still is, 51. We can't confirm a new AG with these numbers. Now there's a greater number of Republicans going into the next term, 
and they've got the cushion necessary to confirm an AG to the president's liking. So it would have been a problem for him to accept a resignation or to fire Jeff Sessions up to now. Now, had he fired Jeff Sessions, would somebody else have popped up? Yes, but it would have been politically problematic. Now that we've gotten past the first term, it can be done a lot more easily. <clears throat> With respect to Jeff Sessions, what I would like to say and again, I could talk about this forever, but just a few things off the top of my head. Keep in mind, this is not an elegy for Jeff Sessions, but keep in mind that Jeff Sessions, contrary to, you know, the, the Sean Hannity's and others of the world who are just, you know, they will go ahead and rip Sessions to shreds because that's what the order of the day seems to be. I was there. I was in the trenches at the time. I was there when we were fighting the fights with respect to immigration. And I can say this unequivocally. For all of us who think immigration is one of the premier issues of the day, but for Jeff Sessions, we would have the Gang of Eight bill that was trying to be foisted on us by many Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, John McCain, and all the Democrats. We would have had open borders and sanctuary cities throughout. We would have had permanent DACA throughout the United States. Only Jeff Sessions stood against that before Donald Trump was even considered to be president, and consider this also. But for Jeff Sessions, it is a very good probability Donald Trump would not be president. You have to think back over two years ago when no one was supporting Jeff Sessions, I'm sorry, Donald Trump and his candidacy for the presidency and the only elected official to step forward for a considerable period of time was Jeff Sessions. And for a long time, he was getting raked over the coals for it. How could you support this man? We've got, you know, fine people like Jeb Bush and, you know, Ted Cruz and people like that. He stood firm. A couple of other things about it, because I worked with him on these things. Right now, the White House is considering something that I think is extraordinarily ill-considered, reduction in sentencing laws. Jeff Sessions has been resisting that throughout. And if it wasn't for Jeff Sessions, we might already have those things, something that the voters in Ohio rejected, thank goodness, yes. just a couple days ago. There are a lot of other good things. There are a lot of other good things, and I would agree with you that Jeff Sessions has done that kind of flew under the radar. Everybody's been focused on what's happening with Mueller and what they're trying to do to the president and that he can't stand up for the president and stand up to the uh, overreach of that uh, investigation has been the biggest criticism. But I agree. There have been other things that he has done. Pete, i got to get our time out here. We'll continue on that. And then, of course, I want to get your general thoughts on the results as the Democrats take over the House, the Republicans strengthen their lead in the or their uh, majority rather in the Senate. So we'll get some more thoughts from Peter Kirsten now on that as we continue. All right, 1028, this is a short segment with Peter Kirsten. Now, the good news is he's got time for another one on the other side of the news. Pete, since this is short, I won't ask you to cram your thoughts on the midterm and the Dems taking over the House into this. I will ask you about Jim Acosta and the fake news uh, uh, purveyors at CNN and elsewhere. You saw and probably, you heard rather, and probably saw uh, the physical nature in which he refused to give up the microphone when a White House intern followed the president's orders to give the mic to someone else. He actually swatted her arm down, uh, which some people construed as an assault. I don't know if I'd go that far. But all of that led to his uh, press credentials being suspended. Uh, it's about time. Uh, how do you feel about it? I can't hear Pete. Can I hear Pete? Why can't I hear Pete? Pete, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely, Bob. Sorry about, sorry that. about that. Sorry about the delay there, but go ahead. Yeah. No, I agree entirely with your assessment. It's It was an abomination, and uh, the press, if uh, they had any kind of sensitivity to this, 
kind of thing. If they had a modicum of professionalism in today's America, they would, uh, I think, uniformly be embarrassed by this buffoon's behavior. Uh, we know that uh, 99% of the press is hard left. That doesn't give them license to act like little children. And Acosta is uh, not necessarily unique in this regard. He just may be the most high-profile one for CNN, but uh, you could go down the list of people who've been acting inappropriately over the last couple of years. Their hatred of Trump and their vision for America is one that's very troubling, and they have absolutely no problem whatsoever in putting a finger on the scale, on the electoral scale, to try to effectuate their vision. Uh, they're doing a very bad job. It's, it's as if, if you're a physician or if you're a lawyer or if you're an accountant, if you were trying to tip the scales in any way, if you're a physician, boy, if you try to tip the scales, maybe somebody dies. If you're a lawyer, you know, it's malpractice or maybe somebody goes to jail. Uh, the media doesn't seem to care. They want a desired result, and the desired result is to upend or undermine the Trump presidency, and they don't mind upending or undermining their own credibility as a result, and you see that their revenues are declining. CNN, as I saw uh, just last week, I think had fallen to eighth or ninth in terms of cable ratings. They're, they're <laughs> below Nickelodeon and HGTV. So nobody watches them anymore. My, but Jim, my concern, Jim Pete, though... I'm sorry, but my concern is the uh, the the victimization factor. Uh, he gets to play that now. You know, Ben Shapiro tweeted yesterday. Uh, uh, we should all find someone to love us as much as Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, and exactly. it's well, and it's all said. He loves this, and now he gets to say, "Oh my gosh, look what they did to me! Look what they're doing to the free press or to a free press!" And play the victim card here and make Trump look like the bully. And I, and you know, that's going to be the message, and it's going to be trumpeted by not only CNN but their other colleagues in the blue mainstream media. I'll let you talk more about that and the midterm speed on the other side of the news, which is now on AM fourteen twenty. There, progressive Democrats. Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, we do continue now at 1035 with Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and noted author of Target Omega Second Strike and a soon-to-be-released third edition in that fantastic series. Um, Pete, um, Monday is Veterans Day, and two things I want to say about that, one good, one bad. One is that I'm going to be broadcasting live, as you may have just heard, from Fast Eddie's in Parma. If you are interested in a bagel or a cup of coffee or a full-on uh, eggs and toast meal, uh, I hope you can join us there between 9 and 11 on Monday, because there's going to be a lot of great veterans there that I know would love to meet you. That's number one. Number two, speaking of veterans, we do have uh, the identity of that California shooter from last night, Pete. Um, his name is uh, apparently well, Ian David Long, I guess Ian Long then, Ian David Long, and he's a veteran of the Marine Corps. He's 28 years old, um, had previous encounters with local police, according to the reports that we're getting right now, used a forty five caliber handgun to kill 12 people, including the sheriff's deputy who arrived uh, three minutes after the shooting began. His previous uh, run-ins with police included a call to his home in April in which the deputies found him acting irate and irrationally. Um, the sheriff said a mental health crisis team was called at that time and concluded he did not need to be taken into custody. And then another time, a couple of tra a traffic incident, rather, and then also once he was the victim of battery at a different bar. So 
this is a veteran. Uh, not that that means a whole heck of a lot. It's just, you know, it's troubling. You know, you, you don't know what, uh, you don't know what's going through people's minds, what would drive them into such a murderous rage. But I don't know. It, it, it hits me a little harder when I find out that it's, you know, one of America's finest who have, uh, you know, have gone and, uh, and fought for this country. Yeah, and veterans are Americans' finest, and um, you know I'm I'm very happy that uh, you know a couple of my nephews. One, I'm going to go down to Quantico next week to see him graduate from Officer Candidate School for the Marines. Wonderful. Another one of my one of my another one of my nephews is MOSC. He's in bomb disposal, and it seems like all my nephews are going into the Marines. And 99.9 percent of the Marines are just the most incredible people you're ever going to want to meet, and I'm sure you're going to meet some of them next Monday. Um, but it's, you know, look, it, it spans the spectrum. Uh, it's a, a real problem. We need to get a handle on it. My own view, as I said, is this goes beyond simple, uh, the kind of nominal attention to crime or law enforcement issues. This has to do with something deeper in our society that I think we have to get a hold of. And I still say that if we abandon our religiosity, our spirituality, uh, we're going to have some problems. But I will tell you, Bob, on mm-hmm. a different note, um, mm-hmm. I got kind of sidetracked, but I was spending time looking at a video of somebody who resembled Lynn Swan, but he seems to be playing for Illyria Catholic. <laughs> I don't know how Lynn Swan... Um, no, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Why you got to go to Swan? Why can't you go to Warfield or a Brown or something? Can you, can you, can you, well, <laughs> Maybe, maybe because it's even so far back to my childhood, but uh, he he has the moves and he has the I mean just this kind of graceful. I kind of like Warfield and Swan. That's right. Uh, but his name seems to be somewhat similar to it's France. It seems to be France. I was really shocked by this. But the same individual did a Dwight Clark catch just a few weeks ago to close out a game, win the game. This guy's extraordinary. Somebody needs to recruit him. I am blushing uh, right now with pride as as you heap the praise on the young man. I'm very very proud of him. Yeah, he's just a sophomore, but he's making senior level plays in the playoffs. And the uh, the run continues this uh, Saturday out in Bellevue, and uh, hopefully he and they can continue to make plays and give us more uh, give us more uh, memories. It's really incredible. Thank you for that, Pete. It's very kind of you. Uh, okay. Uh, let's dive back into it now. I will just we we talked in in passing a little bit about the midterm elections. The uh, Jerry Nadler, who's going to be taking over the um, uh, intelligence uh, uh, committee, I believe. Oh, no, judiciary. Big part. Nadler's going to be judiciary. He is pledging already investigations and impeachment proceedings against Brett Kavanaugh for perjury. He says, and also against President Trump for treasonous collusion with Russia. Uh, apparently, he doesn't even need to to you know come up with the investigation itself to actually dis determine whether those things are in other words he has come to a conclusion and now he wants an investigation to actually bolster his conclusion rather than doing it the other way around uh this at the same time that uh, hillary clinton nancy pelosi is actually saying we want to be bipartisan when we want to come together somewhat and meanwhile her her colleagues are going to be taking over those very important committee assignments are all planning investigations and uh, are going to try to destroy the presidency in the next two years very bad for the country good for the Republican Party. I say bring it on if you're a Republican because this kind of nuttiness is the kind of thing that at least kept the Republicans competitive in this election cycle and may have led to a number of victories that we otherwise would not have gotten. The American people, except for the very lunatic fringe, don't want this kind of thing. It was okay when the Republicans controlled the presidency, the House, and the Senate, because the rabid left, and many Americans, let's face it, because we saw the huge turnout, wanted the Democrats to put a break on this and do something. But now that the dog has caught the car, metaphorically speaking, 
they actually have to start producing, simply continuing these endless investigations and uh, doing things such as looking for Trump's tax returns. That doesn't improve the lot of Americans. And now that they're in a position of responsibility where they do have power in the House, they're going to have to act more responsibly. That's been the nature of the enterprise throughout entire history. When you're, power out, when you're the party out of power... You can complain, you can moan, you can say we would have done things a different way, but now when you have at least some control, you've actually got to produce. And unfortunately, you look at their leadership, these are the nuttiest of the nuttiest fruitcakes. You've got Maxine Waters, before whom I've testified a couple of times, and let me tell you, that's an experience, because (laughs) you will probably find a number of doorknobs in your house brighter than Maxine Waters. Donald Trump, when he refers to her as low IQ, that's a compliment. Uh, And I generally don't try to be as snarky uh, about a public official. I think you should owe them, you know, at least the modicum of respect. But it's difficult to marshal that kind of respect for someone like her. She is she is an abomination. She is really uh, a, 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 a real harm to the. House of Representatives, and by extension to the United States of America. But she's going to be leading a committee. You've got Madler, as you indicated, a leading committee. You've got a lot of people who you don't want anywhere near the reins of power leading committees, but they're going to have to produce at this point. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest. Um, what, what does it say to you that we had a split result? It was supposed to be a blue wave. And a blue wave, of course, is when you know Barack mm-hmm. Obama loses 63 House seats, or the red wave in that case, and what, six Senate seats, I think, at the time. Bill Clinton lost 53. Two, I think, along with another four Senate seats. Rather, this time it was 30-plus in terms of the uh, House seats, and it was the Republicans who gained four Senate seats. Uh, And I don't think we have had uh, the other one uh, confirmed yet, right? But Martha McSally is still up a point with 99% of the results uh, in in Arizona, so it could be yet another one. So the country was split in that regard. And uh, how do you feel about that, uh, that message? Is it a... Is it a statement on the Trump administration, do you believe? And and what do you think it says about the president's popularity, considering the fact that he campaigned for all of those victorious Senate candidates very vigorously in their in their states? Um, he still, I believe, has some very pretty long coattails. Yeah, and conversely, all the candidates for whom Obama campaigned, at least the major ones, crashed and burned, even the incumbents, such as Nelson in Florida, uh, Gillum, who's not an incumbent, obviously, but he was one of the, the uh, you know, golden children uh, of the media, and Abrams in Georgia, on and on, Donnelly in Indiana. So Obama has absolutely no coattails. I do think that Trump had significant coattails, because as it stood, yes, we had the, uh, I think, a little bit of a boost related to the Kavanaugh hearings, and you saw that reflected in the Senate, and you saw a boost in terms of people's concerns about immigration with the caravan approaching, but it was Donald Trump who went out there and spent political capital. He has no problem doing so, and I think he really stanched what could have been a blue wave. No doubt about it, Democrats were extraordinarily energized, but it was because of his indefatigable efforts going, I mean, this man's 72 years old. I don't know how he does this stuff, but he's everywhere at every time and still discharging the duties of the presidency like nobody's business. This guy's fulfilling promises at light speed. So I do think he um, should be commended for that. He deserves some credit for that. And I think the, the election in a midterm was really tepid as far as the Democratic hopes are concerned. They didn't realize a blue wave, but more importantly, it was tepid from the historical standard 
with respect to midterm elections. So if you take a look at some critical races, yeah, we are gaining a lot in the Senate, and that's extraordinarily good for for judges and and matters of that nature. And believe me, I, I have no doubt that President Trump is going to be working furiously to get as many good judges on both the circuit courts and the uh, uh, courts of appeals, the district courts and the circuit courts, and uh, maybe even the Supreme Court, because, you know, in the next couple of years, there could be some additional retirements. Uh, you know, not that I'm wishing this, but I see Ruth Bader Ginsburg was just admitted to the hospital uh, a short time ago. Uh, she had a slip and fall, broke some ribs. She's Second time that's old. happened, by the way. Second time that's happened in six years. She fell and broke two ribs back in 2012. And as we know, she's uh, had two different bouts with cancer and some other things as well. She's 85 years old and in very poor health. I uh, I, I was going to ask you about this anyway, Pete, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I just want to encourage and remind everyone that we are not the left. Uh, they celebrated. They danced. They cheered. They used social media to throw parties when Antonin Scalia passed away because of right. the political gain that they felt they could get there. We are not that, and I want everyone to pray uh, for a speedy recovery to Justice Ginsburg because we're not that. Having said that, if she can no longer serve, I cannot imagine, Pete, if you if you thought it was bad, if we thought it was bad with what they did to Kavanaugh, who was replacing a swing swing voter or swing justice like Kennedy, what are they going to do if Trump gets to replace Ginsburg, the uber-liberal? Yeah, they're, they're going to go nuts. They, they clearly will. It oh. was nuclear during Kavanaugh. I don't know what's beyond nuclear, but it will happen. in Kavanaugh, I'm sorry, the, Ginsburg is right. their favorite justice. So, but Breyer's no spring chicken either. Um, you know, he might retire at some point soon. And even, you know, Justice Thomas, he's not a spring chicken. We want to make sure that stays in conservative hands if he decides to retire at some point in the near future. So expanding that margin in the Senate is great. It's going to be a lot more difficult for Democrats to, you know, and, and by the way, we got rid of Jeff Flake, uh, appropriate named, um, and other weak sisters. So we will have a strong 54, 55 or so seat majority that will pass judges for the president. And that's extraordinarily important. I think um, on balance, given the fact that we have um, taken the governorship of uh, or retained the governorship of Florida, Georgia, some other very important races, it's about as, ex- as good as conservatives slash Republicans can expect in the midterm when the Republicans hold the presidency. So uh, would have been nice to keep the House. I think that was an unrealistic prospect, but it's a very slim majority for, for Democrats in the House. And remember, a number of Democrats are in purple districts, and they may not necessarily be reliable votes in certain critical matters. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, this is what the process is all about. God bless America. Amen to that. And uh, the only thing I'll end with is, uh, you know, the the trend. You know, I just mentioned the uh, losses by uh, Clinton and Bush. By the way, Samuel Lockhart, our, our producer, uh, pointed out that Bush's losses were not in his first midterm because in 2002, if you right. recall, we were still in the, you know, in the beginning stages, really, of the Afghanistan uh, war. And it was right after 9-11. He actually picked up uh, about a dozen seats or so, and I think maybe two Senate seats in 2002. It was the 06 midterm after his re-election that he lost his 30 seats but the point being after clinton lost a bunch bush lost a bunch the second time around and obama lost a bunch all three of them were re-elected and uh i think that bodes well for the president and that's something that i want to just maybe end on as a positive note there as we look toward 2020 pete 
Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure as always. And keep in mind one thing when you think about who you want in office. Yep. The folks that represent Antifa were out the last couple of nights um, at Tucker Carlson, our friend Tucker Carlson's house, telling him that basically he and his family were not safe. These people are thugs, and they're being encouraged by the Maxine Waters of the world. So think about the kind of America you want. Do you want an Antifa America, or do you want an America that we remember and I think President Trump is trying to restore, and we've got to continue to be the United States of America that is the land of the free and home of the brave, not the home of the thugs. I'm glad you brought that up, Pete, because I was going to bring up Tucker uh, myself, and I forgot, because you're a friend of his. You know, you're a frequent guest on his program, and I was going to ask you your thoughts on that. I mean, this is, you know, of all people, Megyn Kelly on Twitter, you know, who's facing her own problems right now for obvious reasons, but she got on Twitter and really, really was upset about uh, what is being done to Tucker Carlson, and she correctly points out, as you know, he takes on all comers on his show. He's a tough guy, and he can handle a lot, but his family does not deserve that harassment. He does not deserve to be treated that way by what we talked about prior to the election mobs you know we all said vote republican for jobs not mobs but this is a mob mentality that's going after tucker and i'm glad you brought it up because i wanted to get your reaction i know you you and tucker are friendly and friends and uh, uh that's just wrong what is being done to him so i'm glad you brought it up uh peter thank you my friend uh go do your day thank job you, bob all right, buddy. Bye-bye. Take care. Peter Kirsten now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer taking time out of his busy schedule to chat with us uh, and analyze everything from the shootings in uh, uh, California to the uh, firing of one of his very good friends and most respected people in government, Jeff Sessions, uh, to obviously the midterm elections and beyond. All right, ten fifty. We'll get our ch- uh, last check of traffic here. Jim Lucio is going to tell you about that. Uh, then we'll come back and get a few phone calls in before the top of the hour and the Mike Gallagher show here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Final segment of the Bob France Authority for this Thursday. Take until 11 o'clock here, so i got time for a few phone calls at, eight, at uh, 888-281-1110 or 216-901-0945. Either one of those will get you in here before we're done. Um, just to double down and, and repeat what I said to Pete and what I said earlier on, too. I'm looking at social media, and I'm seeing some of, some, some, not a lot, but some of the worst of us. Uh, don't be that person. Be better than that. Pray for the recovery of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, this is not war. As much as we like to use war metaphors, this is not war. We do not need casualties in political battles in this country. I want her to be well, and when she steps down from the Supreme Court, I want it to be retirement on her terms, not because of some terrible thing that happened to her, like this case, another case of a fall. It's her second case of a fall that broke ribs uh, in the very frail 85-year-old Supreme Court justice. So uh, do not be that person. We will not celebrate poor health or accidents or injuries to people that we disagree with politically. We are not the left. They cheered when Antonin Scalia died. We will not be that. Just please take that message with you today. John and Char. Oh, it's John and Chardon who was with us a while back and wasn't ready for the phone call, but he's ready this time, I hope. Hey, John. Oh, yeah. I hope, yeah, I'm, yeah, I am. All right, okay. buddy. What's on your mind? Listen, uh, Renacy with his loss on Tuesday, did he still retain his U.S. House representative uh, district seat? Well, he he surrendered it. He did not run for re-election in that in that race because he chose to run for the Senate. Anthony Gonzalez ran, and Anthony Gonzalez, the Republican, won. So he will be the new 16th district representative. Okay, 
All right. My next question: Did Beb Goldstein win her? No, no. Marsha Fudge won that oh, race, okay. uh, sadly and unfortunately. I I don't want to go back into it again, but I did about a six minute diatribe yesterday on the terrible decision the voters in the eleventh district made there to uh, reward Marsha Fudge for being AWOL, absent without leave, and not doing anything for her district. Uh, but yeah. uh, that is that is what they chose. Okay. Well, they're going to stay in the plantation then. Yeah, the the mental yeah the mental plantation right. They, I mean, it really is. It's a that is what it is. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But it is. They are they're stuck in that place with you know refusing to allow somebody to help them up and out of their plight. You know, especially those in the poorest areas. Remember, the eleventh district has some pretty well to do cities as well as some the, some of the poorest in the entire state, if not the entire country. And those in the poorest uh, cities and areas of the eleventh district are the ones that voted most overwhelmingly for Marsha Fudge to remain poor and to remain in that state of mind. It's just, despite the great, great opportunity that Beverly Goldstein offered them and and laid out for them, the vision she laid out for them, it was absolutely horrendous that they uh, ignored all of that and voted the way they always do there. But uh, yeah, but they did. One other point I want to touch on. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, John, uh, or uh, Mike DeWine, I saw him on Sunday. He came through Chardon and everything. I talked with him. But he did, he doesn't have John Husted with him as uh, lieutenant governor. What do you mean I'm doesn't have What do you mean doesn't have what, him with him? Well... You know, usually when you, you mean you mean physically. Well, no, no, yeah. I mean, no, well, no, I mean, no, no. Oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, they split up and campaign in different areas in different ways. Now, you got to remember okay. during during the campaign, John Husted is also Secretary of State, which means he's in charge of Ohio's elections. He's got an important job to do uh, leading mm-hmm. up to Election Day and on Election Day to make sure that everything runs smoothly. I mean, uh, the Secretary of State runs the elections. So yeah, John Husted, yeah, John Husted was doing his job. Number one and number two, he was campaigning. Like I said, apart from Mike Dewine, they they usually split up their resources to cover more ground. That's the way it's usually done. Okay, very very good. All right, thanks for letting me back. <laughs> you got it, John. I appreciate the call. Let's talk to another John. I don't know where this one's calling from though, but you're on the air, John. Go ahead. Yes, I'm from Seven Hills, Ohio, and uh, Florida passed this uh, law giving felons the right to vote. Okay, but the US they sure did. But the U.S. is a republic, not a democracy. So if a group gets gets uh, on the ballot uh, to make murder legal and that passes, okay, I, I wonder if the state legislatures can uh, avoid uh, the law in Florida. Um, I'm I'm not sure exactly what you're saying. Uh, what do you mean about making murder legal? I don't understand it. Okay, say if uh, a group of people gets this on the ballot to make murder legal, and it passes. But since the United States is a republic and not a democracy, okay, I would think that this would be illegal, even though it passed, okay, and cannot be looked, uh, law. Well, um, it's a it's a it's a weird it's a weird comparison to make because murder and you know like like all, you know all crimes are you know is they're illegal on the federal level in addition to the state level so you know that you can't you can't pass a law legalizing murder uh, you know in your example. Uh, whether it's by legislative process or by citizen referendum, which means the people vote on it. What they can do in the state of Florida and other states is decide who gets the right to vote. And it is usually state law um, that makes that decision for everybody as to whether or not, once you've committed a felony and have been convicted of it, whether or not you forfeit your right to vote in the future. By the way, speaking of murder, since you brought that up, that um, referendum they just had down there in Florida 
does not include murderers or rapists. So if you have been convicted of murder or rape, you still can't vote, even though you have served your time and uh, and are now a free person. But other crimes, uh, they have decided you can. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks uh, for all the great guests who joined us today. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is coming up next. We'll see you Friday. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.